Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. wonderful to be back together again, and uh, it really feels like we're beginning um, today, term three. I know if you've got kids at school, term three has been going for a little while, but, but for us as a church, it's, this weekend's quite significant overall. We, we, we had our strengths finder um, yesterday. It was just fantastic, and um, feel in a sense a little, you know, kind of a little momentum gather with that. Just want to remind you of our upcoming Enneagram uh, workshop, which is on the 11th of September. So do book that. Enneagram, not so well known perhaps as StrengthsFinder, but, but a great way of learning about yourself. And there's a, there's a saying that sort of who you are is how you pray. And, and Enneagram will help you to learn who you are and therefore help you in how you pray. So it's really worth signing up for that. We've got other things that are happening as well. Um, uh, so Parker, who some of you will know, um, is starting a, a, a beginner's course in Te Reo, Te, te Ara Māori, it's called. It's on Tuesday night. It's going to be here for the next four Tuesday nights. It's actually full, so I'm not doing that as an ad for it, but just to be aware of what's happening in our congregation because it is a, it's a wonderful thing. And he will do subsequent ones coming so you can kind of get in on the waiting list if that's what you'd like to do. We're also in September, again, still talking term three, um, looking at launching a new service. So it'll be upstairs in our chapel. And um, in two weeks' time, two Sundays' time, the 22nd, after this morning service, so 11.45 I've got in mind, we're just going to have a little gathering up in the chapel for anyone who might be interested in coming and hearing some of the ideas for that. And so um, just sort of note that in the back of your mind. If you're a morning service person, you're more than likely going to be here anyway. Um, just a little quick meeting just to, to get the, the ball rolling with that. So we're pretty excited about all of those things that are happening in Term 3. And of course we're excited about our new series which starts today and we're calling it Why God Pilgrimage When the Wheels Fall Off um, because our theme for the year is pilgrimage. We're looking at pilgrimage, what it means and what it looks like. And I've been, I've been drawn to pilgrimage really over the last 10 years which has been been quite a personal journey, um, which I wouldn't have put the pilgrim word to until more recently, but th- I see that as being something that God's done in my life. And one thing that I've found out about pilgrimage is that it's a pretty attractive proposition when the trail is really well marked and, and, and the weather is fine and there's a soft bed and a, and a, and a, um, a, nice, a nice hot meal at the end of the day. Um, there's, there's nothing about pilgrimage that that kind of doesn't appeal, at least to me at that point. But what happens when the weather turns somewhat and all of a sudden the track looks like it might be lost along the way? In a God sense, when God becomes distant or absent, um, when what used to make sense doesn't seem to make sense anymore. And I think we all arrive at those places along the course of our lives. What happens to pilgrimage then? And so if you think of us in terms of our year, in term one, we packed our bags. Um, what would it be like to go on pilgrimage? In term two, we went on the road. 
So week by week, we talked about, we talked Jesus stories, we talked about other scripture stories and what God was doing on the road. And in term three, we're looking at this thing of negotiating some of the tough times that comes along that seem inevitable. And we're going to be honest and we're going to be brave um, and we're going to be hopeful. So we're not going to wallow. We're going to be hopeful in this process, but we're going to recognize that some stages we will wake up or some seasons even we'll wake up and it feels dark and it feels deserted and it feels silent, and it feels like something shifted, and it feels like lament is closer to our lips than praise. And we will look at those things, and we will, and we will wrestle with them, and we will, we will work with them, and we trust that God will lead us through those things. Honest, brave, and helpful. One of the things we're going to do at the end of every service is we're going to have a, an invitation opportunity for people to, to receive prayer. And, and of course, theoretically, we do that on any um, given week. We would always love to pray for people, but we are going to lead you towards <laughs> saying, you know, kind of, is this something that you would like prayer for this morning? We're going to trust that God's going to meet people in those times. So each week, we're going to have some people who are, who are designated. We're sort of gathering slowly a little team together of people who... Um, are available to pray at the end of the service. And so um, Joe and Al, um, who are here in um, red and green, they'll be up at the end of the service um, to, to be available to pray for you and other people as well um, also. And so sort of come with a sense and a heart that God um, is available and, and will be wanting to move in our midst in that time. And so just as we close the service, Joe and Al will come up and um, and and maybe others if, if there are lots of people that are for prayer, and we would love to pray for you, love to pray for you in this time. So why, God? I don't know. I'm going to say we've all asked that question in some way um, or time along the way. I remember when my son got diabetes, he was seven, and, and, and I had this little thing. It seemed like a God thing that, that I would fast for three days of a week for four weeks. So, you know, fast for three days, go in and lay hands on him, pray for him while he's asleep, for healing. And at the end of that four weeks, he had diabetes just as much as he had at the beginning of the week. And I asked the question, why God? You know, kind of thing, because you can't help but do that, can you? Um, I remember a real why God um, question that I asked was the Boxing Day tsunami in 2004. And it just seemed so random and so hopeless or so, so wrong somehow. And I asked why God that time. For me, the most often that I say why God is at the end of a church service when I've been wondering why he didn't do more than, than, than he actually did, you know, and why the things that I hoped for didn't happen. I've, 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 felt, I've felt some of my lowest moments at the end of church. Why God? You know, kind of when, when you worked so hard or when you, when you tried so hard or when you believed so much, did this not happen? I've, I've asked those questions. What are your why God questions. And so it's with that, in a sense, that we're going to be talking about, you know, kind of what happens when the wheels fall off. And we might kind of go into sort of some dark territory, so why not have a light photo? And I think that guy probably did okay at the end of that, as will we, as do all of us when the wheels fall off. So in the series, we're going to try and, and tread a balance between answering something of why bad things happen to good people and accepting that bad things do happen to good people and looking at how we negotiate those times in our lives. So we'll be working kind of on different fronts. 
And at the risk of trivializing something that, that exercises greater minds than mine, theological minds and minds um, in our history, is my current take on the answer to the why God question is that God's plan for our lives differs remarkably from what we think God's plan for our lives is and indeed what we think God's plan for our lives should be. That's where I've somewhat come to along the line. So this is what, you know, kind of this is real shorthand, um, but, but I think God's plan for our lives is relationship. That's where I think I boil it down to right at the moment. The ancients, the mystics, would talk about this thing called union, and union was like through the... I don't know the um, I don't know the ups and downs, the grueling nature of life, that God would be there with us in that time, and that there would be a growing of relationship, which would create something that we would translate into English as as union. In in modern theology, there's a lot of working with an idea called perichoresis, which is a divine dance, and the idea of that is that you know the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in this mutually submissive dance, and there's an invitation to us in it, but it's not an invitation to us in it as we sit, it's an invitation to us as we grow and as we, as we are in relationship that grows. And it, and it feels like that this is something that God is working in our lives and working towards us in our high points and maybe especially in our low points. And we'll explore some of that in this series. I think, on the other hand, our plan or our idea of God's plan is that God will bless us. And there's nothing wrong with that because God does bless us. The Bible says we reap what we sow. The Bible says there is blessing for those who do right and do the right thing. But I'm not convinced that Scripture can sustain a theology that involves God's ultimate plan for our lives is to bless us. I think the great weight of Scripture and church history points to a God who walks with us in the tough stuff rather than just plucks us out of it. So he walks with us rather than plucks us out of it. I think you can see aspects of this in Paul when he writes in Philippians 3, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. That knowing Christ Jesus is is the end game, is, is what this is all about. He goes on, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then he goes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, which of course we want to see and we want to invite and we want to know and experience and participation in his sufferings. And when you read the scriptures through the lens of that, and even when you look at your life through the lens of that, you realize that as we participate in something of that, we have a God who's been there and goes there and walks with us through that. And we are to discover in that process, I think, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this, he says, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Forgetting what is behind, straining forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. Usually when we preach this, I press on towards the goal as, you know, kind of making the most of your life or, you know, kind of using the the best of your opportunities or something like that. I'm striving forward. 
but it's to win the prize for which God has called me heavenly, the prize, you know, kind of in the context of, of the scriptures that we read of, of knowing Christ. I want to know Christ. So what is the goal? The goal is relationship, to know Christ. What is our goal? So often it is, well, it's to be blessed. It's, it's that I'd get the job, that I'd get the car, that I'd get the house. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, kind of believing for that. And that's part of God's working with us. That I would be happy, that I would um, live a great life, that I would be fulfilled. And I'm not sure that that's God's goal in his relationship with us. The blessing kind of thing works quite well when you're in the West, when you're in a wealthy um, kind of context. It doesn't work so well in a refugee camp. But even when it works well in the West, it only goes so far. And then it kind of crashes around us. And so I think we're going to learn and understand some things during this time that are going to be really helpful in this process. Paul in Philippians 2, there's this great hymn um, of the early church. They used to sing it apparently in, the, in Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> and it says in that hymn that we are to have the same mindset of Christ who made himself nothing who humbled himself and who became obedient even unto death. In theological terms, we call this kenosis. Kenosis is like emptying. It's like taking everything you have and letting it go, emptying. It's not a very attractive word today, but it's something I think we need to grapple with if we're going to have the same mindset as Jesus. We're going to be, we're going to be I don't know, tried on this thing. This is, this is going to be something that's going to work <clears throat> within our lives. Jesus would say, in Luke 9, 23, he would say, if anyone wishes to come after me, not just as disciples, anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. There's going to be a challenge in this walking, this Jesus way, that is going to be uncomfortable along the way. I, I, I read it from there. And he lived it, and he taught it, and he loved it, and he modeled it, and he faced his own why God periods, didn't he? In Gethsemane, he faced them, and on the cross, he faced them. He, he, he cried out a psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, God? Effectively, he's saying at that time. And Peter will pick it up again later on in 1 Peter 4.13. He says, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. There's something that's happening in that process. Important for us to know, important for us to come to groups with. So there's something about entering the moments when the wheels fall off with Christ that is essential if we are to discover a relationship with Christ. If we are to spend our time trying to deny, not be there, expect God, be mad at God for not pulling us out of it, we miss something of the point of what he's trying to fashion in us. Not, not that it's easy. So... I've been, uh, three, three books that I've been reading over the last little while, they're, they're sort of shaping some of my thinking. These aren't the texts for, for the year, but, but I thought, you know, kind of if you want to do some reading over this time, because we won't be able to cover everything, obviously, in our series. Um, but uh, A Severe Mercy is by Sheldon Van Auken, um, and it tells the story of uh, a man in his 30s studying at Oxford University, American guy, but studying at Oxford University in the mid-1900s, and coming under the tutelage a little bit of C.S. Lewis. Um, and uh, it's the love story, really, of, of his life. But then his wife um, gets cancer and dies. And 
And, and it's the journey that, given C.S. Lewis's sort of, um, I don't know, wisdom, I guess, C.S. Lewis, a great English thinker and Christian and writer, and you've probably possibly heard of him. Um, and, and it's kind of ironic and, and, and touching because Lewis himself was going to go through the same battle with his own wife a few years later. So, so there's something about it there. Uh, Disappointment with God, Philip Yancey, just a terrific book. Yancey's a, a really good writer taking complex things and, and taking them, you know, kind of into very understandable. I, I really enjoy that book. And, and um, friends of my master's um, professor, Peter Fitch, wrote a book a few years ago called Learning to Suffer Well. And so those are, you know, I don't, I don't know that they're the best or whatever, but those are books that you might like to read, and they're, they're pretty achievable and pretty, you know, you can download them all on Kindle. Um, so Yancey in his book reckons that you can summarize a whole lot of things in three questions. He says, why is God unfair? Why is God silent? And why is God hidden? These are questions that he would say that we, we all ask from time to time if we're really honest. Because sometimes we're not all of that honest, I think, along the way. So why is God unfair? Why is God silent? And why is God hidden? Why God, in other words, is what we ask. And he points to the Old Testament prophets and he says, these are the questions that those guys were asking back in the Old Testament when they said things like, why do godless nations flourish? God. Why God? We don't get it. Why is there such poverty and depravity in the world? God. Which might be something that we might pray as well. Why are there so few miracles when you're so powerful? That's what they wrestled with. Where are you, God, when I need you? And who hasn't had those moments? Who hasn't been in those situations? And yet Yancey also looks at times of breakthrough. And he says, there doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence in the Scriptures when all of a sudden God turns on the tap and, and blessing just flows like nothing on earth that that actually brings people close to God. And he gives the example um, primarily of Solomon, where at the, at the, the pinnacle of the, um, the, the, um, of the kingdom of Israel, essentially with Solomon's temple and all of those sorts of things, that it doesn't really bring anybody closer to God. And Yancey says, success may have eliminated any crises of disappointment with God, <coughs> but it also seemed to eliminate Solomon's desire for God at all. The more he enjoyed the world's good gifts, the less he thought about the giver, which is sobering and challenging, and we may or may not agree, but it's like, man, I, I, I can't disagree with the Solomon story at least because that is what seemed to happen in that story. And so against that biblical background, you know, the Jesus you know, and, and, and what he did, the Paul scriptures, the the Peter scriptures, the Old Testament prophets, against all of that, every disciple of Jesus was martyred for their faith. They weren't miraculously saved. They were martyred for their faith. The first 300 years of the church was a bloodbath as, as the church was persecuted to the degree that the early church father, Tertullian, would say, um, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And I love that quote in my comfortable 21st century New Zealand, I don't have to shed any blood sort of sense. I'm here on the back of the martyrs who seem to experience God when their wheels fell off on their pilgrimage 
And that seemed to create something that gave me such an incredible opportunity to get to know God in my lifetime. In the 20th century, it is said that there were more martyrs in the 20th century than in any other century in history. So it's not even like that was the end of it, and then we could just live easy for the next 1,800 years. It was just like, man, this continues. It's just that we don't experience that necessarily. So why, God? I remember in my master's studies, um, I I read, um, I don't know, some research on the church at Antioch. So the church at Antioch in the book of Acts isn't isn't mentioned a lot, but it's, it's at Antioch that believers were first called Christians. So that's a pretty cool thing. Anyway, in this um, study on the church at Antioch, it said, in Antioch in biblical times, the average life expectancy was 36 years old. And I was like, man, that's pretty young. And, and, and it was what it didn't say that really struck me. It's like in the scriptures, because Antioch's mentioned there, and in social history, if that's what you study, in all of those things, there is never a suggestion, never a mention that in Antioch, that the average Christian life expectancy was 46 years old, while the average non-Christian life expectancy was 36 years old, or 56 and 36 or something like that, it would seem to be that they died at 36 on average, just like those who weren't believers. But the thing that you'd know and you'd understand about God is that they died with him and that he was close to them as he walked through that process because he was about relationship more than he was about blessing and there's nothing wrong with blessing. And I think that's what I see in there. When it hurts and we say, why God? We might say with Isaiah 63, 9, which says, in all their distress, he too was distressed. And that doesn't make sense If our end game is, well, you've done it, you're supposed to be making me happy here, or you're supposed to be making it not so painful here. But it does make sense if their end game is relationship. You've done it, so you can walk this with me, and I want to walk it with you. I think that makes sense. So one of the things we want to do in this series is we want to tell some stories from our congregation And we realize that that some stories that are fashioned in this way are very painful. So so it'll only be stories that feel ready for people to share. Um, And so if you have a story, if you feel like you've, you know, kind of, well, you've been listening to me for the last 15 minutes, you know, kind of would fit with what we're doing, um, just flick me an email, vic at svc. and, And even if you've got a story that you're not ready to share, I would love to hear of your stories and, you know, kind of we'll be very tender and careful with your stories. But if you have something, you know, kind of if there is something you'd like to share, then we would love to hear it. And so we're going to hear something of a story um, this morning from Tania Jenner. So, Tania, why don't you come up and Tania's going to tell us a little bit about some things that have happened for her. Is that okay for you to be there? That's really good. So welcome, Tania. If, uh, if people haven't met Tania and her husband, Alan, um, they've been part of our church for a, a very long time, really. So tell me, tell me about what's happened for you guys over the last 
Eight years, I think we're talking. Yeah, it is eight years. Hi. Um, I've got notes just so I kind of need notes. <laughs> um, yeah, so for the last eight years, my husband and I have been um, supporting a severely mentally unwell daughter. Um, she's now 22, and um, yeah, it's been a really hard journey. And, and it's a journey that still continues, Tony? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been quite difficult at times. Um, a few sort of practical things. Um, yeah, so at home you feel like you're walking on eggshells, which is really hard. Um, there's the frustration of um, not sometimes knowing what to do or what to say, um, how, how to help. Um, there's a huge anxiety on um, a daily basis um, and it's affected our jobs. I'm now working part-time rather than full-time. Um, our interests, um, our friendships and also affected other family members and their relationship with her and with us. Um, and it's also been quite frustrating at times trying to find professionals that can understand the complexity um, and the severity of what it's like and how to help as well. So, yeah. And I guess... It's kind of an endless looking forward. Yeah, yeah. So um, sort of we don't know about the future. Um, we're still going through this. And, yeah, and we have minor or major crises every day. We had one at 1.30 this morning, which was a minor one. Um, so, yeah, and so you spend a lot of time praying. I've never prayed so much in all my life in the last eight years, and I've never cried so much in all my life. So... Um, yeah, my, my hunch is you've asked the why God question. Very at much. Some level. Yeah. Have you yeah. had any answers? Um, we sometimes see little glimpses of hope, um, but sometimes with mental illness, if any of you have been through journeys yourself or um, know close friends or family who are, um, it's sometimes two steps forward, one step back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, sometimes you get really hopeful, and then something will happen again, and the cycles and things. Mm. So yeah. Tell us a little about your journey with God then. And obviously yeah, it'll be in so, and out and up and down. And yeah, yeah. So I've, I've learnt a lot. Um, I, I sort of always thought of myself as quite a caring, empathetic person, but I sort of like has been blown out about how much empathy I now need to have <laughs> walking the daily journey. Um, and also empathy for others. So that's been a really positive thing. Like no matter what people are going through, I kind of um, understand um, even if I don't understand everything about it, but I, I do understand that it's hard, um, yeah, and that you need support. Um, some of the things I really learned is that not to do this journey alone, um, to make sure that you have support from trusted family, friends and professionals, um, and to take care of myself. Um, that was a big thing I had to learn. I sort of was giving and giving and giving, and then I had to sort of think, okay, how am I gonna find little bits of joy? Um, how am I gonna find peace? How am I gonna have that hope and that sort of daily walk? So yeah, so that was really cool. I know, um, in, I know in talking to you, hope has been an important yeah, part of that yeah. so I'll just emerging journey. Yeah. A couple of more things too, yeah. before I sort of finish with hope, because that's sort of like a central thing that has kept me going, but um, I want people to know, and I've felt this a lot too, that, that God can handle your raw emotions, your anger, your pain, your frustration, um, your sort of desperate plea, um, but he's got this and he can carry you through the situation, and a friend of mine recently sent me um, something which I'll just read to you. So when we are overwhelmed, God has an opportunity to act 
to do things we could never do in our own strength. And it also reminds me of a song by Rebecca St. James um, called The Battle Belongs to the Lord. Um, And there's some really cool lyrics in there about it's not just my battle, me trying to do it by myself. God has got this and, you know, the battle is his. Um, And another thing, just, just to keep praying. My faith has sometimes been the only thing that's that's got me going, that's um, helped me get out of bed, um, helped me step by step. So um, it's a song also. <laughs> I love worship songs, and they really mean a lot to me um, and have helped me a lot. And this one's by um, Anchor and Skillet. Skillet um, and there's a little few lines in the lyrics here. Every wave of the storm, you are my anchor. So steady me, steady me now. And that's what I really believe, that God has got me. Um, and God is, is seeing me through this. Mm. And lastly, like you said, mm. never give up. And that's been a, a, a big thing for me, is to never give up, even when it's really hard. So there's a verse in Romans 15:13 about hope. May the God of hope fill, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, that is just amazing. Should we just take a moment to pray for Tania and for Ellen and look, even representative of others who are walking this journey or um, are feeling, you know, kind of some of the heat and the pain of these things. And so, God, we just, we just thank you for Tania and Ellen and, and the courage of eight years. And, and we just ask, Lord, that you would, even today, um, break through in their family and in their lives, um, that hope indeed would spread, and that and that this is not a, a life sentence, but Lord, that this is something that you are working through both with them and their and their beautiful girl, and um, and their their whole family, and we do in a sense, um, we are in a sense mindful of this not being all of that uncommon even within our own congregation. And so, Lord, so many of us will have something that almost is triggered by Tanya's story, and we pray that you would draw close. And, Lord, that we would walk this with you and that you would bring hope and light at the end of that tunnel. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Bless you. So Yancey says, is God silent? And he says, no, he's not silent. Jesus said, follow me. And he invites us to follow him. And he says, is God hidden? And he says, no, he's not hidden. Jesus said, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. He has appeared. He has has joined us. He says, is God unfair? And he says, this is the hardest one of all to answer. But he says, Jesus' own life ended in the greatest unfairness of history, that the best man who ever lived suffered the worst punishments, that the problem of unfairness didn't disappear, but a God who knows unfairness now is present and able to be in our lives. Bonhoeffer in the Nazi prison camp, not long before he died, said, only the suffering God can help. You know, we have a suffering God 
who can help and who will help. And so as we come towards a close, I want to just introduce you to two friends of mine. This is Danny and Penny Meyer. They're um, vineyard pastors in the States, um, and I know them through missions. And so I've spent some time with them in various Asian countries and got to know them. They have a heck of a journey. Um, Penny was really badly smashed up in a car accident a few years ago, and um, I'm not sure in what order, but she's been battling cancer um, for some years as well, you know, and, and in such a way that is, um, you know, kind of life-threatening. And Danny, and, and what they have chosen to do is they've really shared their story publicly among their friends, and because they're a little bit known around the vineyard world, at least, you know, they have, they have got people to pray for them all around the world, and so I get to be in on that loop. And so Danny posted this thing on um, social media just about a month ago and when, when I, we were starting to really think in a, in a formal way about the series. And it was just like, I want to I wanna say this in our first one because I just think it's so profound. He said, during this, he says, asking the right question, during this season of my life, it is natural to have far more questions for God than answers. The most natural question is Why? However, the why is often the least helpful to ask and the most frequently left unanswered. I'm finding that my peace in this season comes only when I'm willing to defer insisting on knowing the answer to why is this happening, allowing it to remain a mystery for the moment, and instead asking how. How am I to walk through this season? How should I respond to the circumstances each day brings? Will I only follow him when the path is smooth and the journey is straight, only letting him lead me if he explains himself and his purposes before each bend in the road? More than knowing why, I want to learn how to find him in each moment, how to reflect him in the darkness, how to feel his closeness in the journey. I am finding as I focus on how, I do far better. I sense Jesus, his presence, and his provision far more powerfully than when I try to figure out why. I just think from someone who's in the battle, there is a profundity in that that is worth sharing. So would you please stand, and Rob and the team are going to come back, and we're going to close uh, with Tuya, and and we're going to look at the whole thing of... um, being freed, in, inviting God into our place. There's, there's some emotion in our congregation this morning, um, and maybe it's, there's a sense that, you know, kind of God is doing something in your life, and if so, you know, kind of we don't want to just send you out and let's have tea and coffee. We want to have the opportunity to, to pray if it seems appropriate. Um, you know, if you're in, um, in a chair and you think, well, I, I can't come forward because... I don't know, it's too exposing or whatever, then, then just ask somebody around you, would you pray for me? And if somebody asked you, you know, all you have to do is, God, would you be close? Just introduce yourself maybe and say your name or something like that. Al and Joe will come up, if you guys can come up now, sort of, they're, they're safe people, good people. They will look after you people. If you would like to come forward for some specific prayer, and and there's a number of us around who are you know kind of we've just been talking together a little bit in this last week or two about about being available for prayer, and so as we just 
sing and worship and reflect a little as we close the service. If you would like some prayer specifically, would you just come up again if it's a little, um, you know, kind of embarrassing, just come up and sit at the front or something and, and we, we will come and pray and we will look forward. It will be just our honour and privilege to be able to do that. So let's worship together. We're not going to kind of grind it out to say, you know, come, come, come. But if, if this is a good thing, would you come? We'd love to pray and see where God might meet you as the wheels maybe are off or as he puts them back on or as, as you're in this unknown journey. God bless you, eh? Next week we'll be continuing the series. Tonight I'll be doing the same message if you feel like somebody should be here who's not here this morning. So God bless. Thanks, Rob. Once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.